Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Squadron, the, the podcast devoted to creating and optimizing a healthy and fulfilling life for first responders all around the world. I'm your host, Garrett Taslam, a sergeant for a sheriff's department in Southern California, and this is my little project to talk to experts in a variety of fields, looking for those force multipliers that I can apply to my own life and then share with you. My goal is to make us all happier and healthier so we can pursue our challenging careers with energy, clarity, and a commitment to our oath. Our guest today is a man, a legend in the strength training community, Mark Ripito. He was kind enough to give us an hour of his time. And Mark probably doesn't need any introduction, but I'll give him a short one anyway. Uh, if you've been doing any sort of uh, strength training, barbell training, even CrossFit for any t- sort of uh, length of time, you've probably come across Mark, at least in the uh, vein of, of online videos, uh, technique, and uh, that sort of stuff in terms of the Olympic lifts um, and strength training. His books, um, Starting Strength and Practical Programming for Strength Training, have been used all around the world. Mark has uh, has got a long list of accolades, and um, I, I could talk for probably thirty minutes just on that alone. But um, he comes on the show to give us a different perspective about uh, what we need to be doing with our training. And Mark knows what he's talking about. You know, he goes back to his his work in the fitness industry began in uh, nineteen seventy eight, um, where he and he's the owner of the Wichita Falls Athletic Club. And he's the first group certified. He was in the first group of people certified by the National Strength and Conditioning Association way back in 1985 when I was seven. And uh, he's actually relinquished that credential since then. He's a competitive or was a competitive power lifter for uh, many years. And he, of course, coaches lots of athletes and he does his certifications and his trainings all around the country. Um, Mark is an opinionated guy which makes for a great interview and a great uh, podcast because he shares his uh, insights uh, very straightforwardly. Uh, We talk about why he thinks CrossFit is fine for most people, but that it's exercise and not training, and how, as law enforcement officers, we need to be devoted to our training. And some interesting concepts over... um, practice and performance and training versus exercise so he defines it in the show so i won't belabor it here but um he brings up some interesting points uh some thoughts i hadn't considered in the past um and it was a really interesting conversation uh that we got to have with mark um and uh, just appreciate his time so without further ado i'm going to get to that uh real quickly want to remind you that if you are not signed up for our mailing list you should do that by going to the squadroom.net and signing up there. Or from the palm of your hand, you can text the squadroom, all one word, to 44222 to get signed up right there. Uh, but uh, you can do that now. You do it after the show. I'll remind you then again. But for right now, I want to get to Mark Ripito, author of Starting Strength and Practical Programming for Strength Training, and uh, his insights into why we as cops need to train. Mark Ripito, thanks for being on the show. Sure, Garrett. Glad to be here. It's uh, a real treat to have you on. I've been following your stuff uh, for quite some time, following you on YouTube. I, your uh, videos on how to do the basics of the, you know, the clean, the squat, the, the press, the bench press, all those things. Those are things I go back to consistently uh, and constantly to reevaluate uh, my own form when I don't have a trainer right in front of me. So thank you for putting out such great content. Well, we're happy to help uh, the... Uh the materials that we uh, we generate generate with regards to technique and 
and execution are uh, really designed you know the the best way we can make them to to enable a person training by themselves to uh, correctly do the exercises uh, however sometimes it's you know it's, sometimes people just have different little problems with each one of these lifts and in that situation a coach uh, is is quite useful uh, coaches that know how to to coach our version of these lifts are hard to come by and our online coaching is is uh starting strength online coaching is handy for that but but these materials have all actually been produced with you being able to correctly do them in mind uh reading the book and watching the videos yeah. so i'm glad we're glad we've been able to help you absolutely so of course for people who who aren't familiar directly or maybe they know the name you're the author of Starting Strength and Practical Programming for Strength Training, among other books. But those are the two I kind of want to focus on today. Right. And uh, one of the first things that people will read when they read like practical programming is that you really emphasize a differentiation between exercise and training and why it's important yes. for athletes to train for the long-term goal. Can you give us a quick uh, description of why the differences as you see them and why sure. it's important to distinguish? Well, let's just go ahead and, and define several terms because uh, one of the things that we have found to be very helpful is that uh, if everybody's operating under the same definitions and terms, then uh, it makes it easier to organize our thoughts with respect to these topics. So uh, physical activity, that's the thing you, you see that the uh, – the American Heart Association wants you to get some of, and the uh, federal government wants you to get some of. And physical activity means anything that doesn't involve sitting down. And uh, <clears throat> we've we consider that to be a rather low threshold uh, <laughs> for uh, uh, a person's. Uh, uh, target goals for <laughs> right. maintaining maintaining health and certainly not for maintaining performance. So uh, a step up from that would be uh, exercise, all right? If physical activity is walking from the parking lot into the grocery store and then pushing the cart around and then walking with the groceries back out to the car, then exercise would be doing that five times a day for the express purpose of getting hot, sweaty, and tired. If that sort of thing makes you hot, sweaty, and tired. <laughs> right. Okay. Exercise is what people do when they stop by the gym on the way home and go back to the dumbbell rack and play with the dumbbells for 15 or 20 minutes and get on the treadmill and ride the treadmill while they watch the news on CNN and then go back and take a shower and get in a car and go home uh, every day. That, you know, it's some physical activity. There are some calories burned. Uh, you got hot, sweaty, and tired. But what you did was for today. In other words, your mission in, uh, in going to the gym and playing with the dumbbells and riding the treadmill was to just get hot, sweaty, and tired because that makes you feel like you have done some exercise. Mm -hmm. And the primary consideration in going to the gym under those circumstances under exercise 
under an exercise paradigm is that you got hot, hot, sweaty, and tired, and you did something today. You burned some calories, all right? Right. When a person grows past that, and a certain percentage of everybody does, where just exercising uh, is not adequate, then that person starts thinking in different terms, okay? Mm -hmm. And they start thinking in terms of, well, can I make this better next week than I did this week? They start thinking in terms of uh, a goal, a specific performance goal at some point in the future. Mm -hmm. And when they start thinking about that, then they are beginning to plan the activities that they engage in today to generate a response later in time. And with that in mind, now we have established a performance curve. Where are we today? Where do we want to be in the future? And how do we tailor today's workout to make that point in the future occur? When we graduate to that type of thinking, then we're training. And, and you can easily see this in terms of uh, a marathon runner entering the Boston. Right? Okay. You send in your money. Now you're going. Well, what am I going to do when I get there? Well, I guess what I'd better start doing is planning my weekly activities to generate a better performance than I am turning in right now. And so your training then becomes planned. Mm -hmm. So training is planned physical activity, planned exercise that is programmed, in other words, organized in a specific way to generate a specific physical adaptation at some point in time in the future. All right. Now that, that may be the Boston marathon. It may be a particular weightlifting meet. It might be a decathlon. It might be all kinds of different physical activities. So since each one of those different physical activities, a decathlon, a marathon and a weightlifting meet being completely different types of physical performance, since each one of those events requires a completely different type of physiological adaptation in order to perform them well, okay. then our programming must reflect the differences in the adaptations that we intend to accomplish over the period of time that the training program is, uh, is enacted. All right. So if, if I've got a weightlifting meet that requires a one rep max snatch and clean a jerk, that's a different type of physical activity than 26.2 miles. Sure. And as a result of that difference in required adaptation, my programming must reflect those differences. Okay. Now, <clears throat> let's say that the performance, which would be the Boston Marathon, or the weightlifting meet, or the football game Saturday, or the baseball game in, in two more days, 
the performance, let's say that this performance involves the execution of movements that depend on accuracy and precision. And you can think of lots of things that involve the use of accuracy and precision. You guys using your, your service weapons, Mm -hmm. for example, you got to qualify with your pistol. I don't know how many rounds a month you shoot, but you know, depending on the service, some guys shoot, you know, there are, there are elements of, uh, special forces that shoot 500 rounds a week. Sure. There are, there are police agencies that only require that their office officers shoot 50 rounds every three months, if that. <clears throat> so depending on the, the nature of the service, there are, there are differences with respect to activities that demand accuracy and precision. So when we, when we prepare for activities that are dependent upon accuracy and precision for the performance, which is the point in the future that we're preparing for, then we are, we are doing what, what we call practice. Okay. So practice is different from training because training is progressive, right? Okay. Yeah. You, you see the point there. Sure. Training is progressive. If I come in on Monday and I put 285 on the bar and I squat it for three sets of five, well, Friday I'm going to come in and I'm going to put in 290 on the bar and I'm going to squat it for three sets of five. And then Monday I'm going to put 295 on the bar and I'm going to squat it for three sets of five, right? Mm-hmm. But if I'm a pitcher, what do I do with my baseball? Well, a a game ball weighs 185 grams. Okay. Mm-hmm. And if I'm going to get very good at throwing a 185 gram baseball at the catcher's mitt using various techniques that, that make the ball arrive at the catcher's mitt, then what must I do? I must throw a 185 gram baseball at a whole lot of catcher's mitts. Right. A whole lot of time. In other words, I have to exactly replicate the performance circumstances if I'm going to practice for that performance. But that same pitcher also should be training his squats. They're two completely different types of activity. Mm-hmm. You understand my distinction here? <clears throat> yeah, and I think it's a you hit it's a, a, it's a it's a terribly important thing to understand because modern strength and conditioning tends to conflate these two these two concepts and they are completely different mm-hmm. they are completely different types of activity you cannot make your strength and conditioning activities look like your performance and get any stronger doing it mm-hmm so yeah, I think you hit analogy right there perfectly with the with talking about firearms qualification and yes. shooting you know center mass five rounds on target is there's other stuff that goes into that, but that's your performance, right? That's you, the performance, and that therefore must be the practice. So mm-hmm. if you're going to shoot five rounds on target center mass, are you going to change up your pistol every time you do that? Right. Yeah. Of course no, not. No. You're, you're going to get real familiar with your carry weapon, and that's the one you practice with. 
Because in the event that there needs to be a performance, we don't want a performance in a situation like that, but if it happens, then you had to have practiced for that specific performance, right? Mm -hmm. Now, everybody, everybody intuitively understands this. You can't practice with an 1873 Colt 45 revolver. Right. And have that practice count for the performance with your Glock 22. Right. It, 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 it does not carry over because it's not specific to the performance. By the same token, that cop ought to be training for strength, which sure. is a completely different kind of a deal, mm-hmm. a completely different kind of a deal. That involves him adding five pounds to his squat a couple of times a week. There are two different types of activity. But if we, if we try to make our squats look like some hybrid between squatting and shooting our Colt 1873, <laughs> then what we get is a bastardization of both activities. We don't get very strong, and we don't get very good with the weapon mm-hmm. because we have conflated the two concepts, training and practice, and they are separate. So um, let me ask you this, and if I'm sorry if I'm interrupting. Um, you know, we look at ourselves or we encourage ourselves on this show and then around the world just that the idea that we are tactical athletes. I don't know if you're familiar with that term at all. Oh, I'm quite familiar. Okay, so obviously if anyone's listening for the first time and they're not familiar with that, the general idea is that we need to treat ourselves as professional athletes uh, in a tactical environment. We need to do all the things to make ourselves ready for that that potentially large-scale big event. Exactly. And the, 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 the big performance right. that you have no idea when is going to occur and that nonetheless you must be prepared for when it does occur, if and when it does occur. Now, in your situation, the, the distinction between training and practice could not be more obvious. Okay? Mm-hmm. You, have to, you have certain things that will happen during the big event, right? You're going to have to shoot. You're going to have to communicate. You're going to have to think. You're going to have to move in specific ways, depending on the nature of the event, when and if it occurs. You have to prepare as best you can for all possible contingencies that may occur during that event. What's the best way to do it? Well, on the practice side, it seems rather obvious that we need to shoot a lot of rounds downrange with all of the weapons that we will be called upon to use. We need to be familiar with all of the tools that we will going that we are going to be required to operate under those circumstances. Right? Mm-hmm. We need to be practicing the use of the tools and the use of the weapons technology under various conditions that might occur during the event, night, daytime, rain, fog, poor visibility, dust, wind, that sort of thing. Sure. All of the conditions that might possibly occur, we need to have practiced with those tools and those weapons so that we're familiar with how they're going to behave and we have some experience handling them under those specific conditions. All right, and I think this is well understood, and I think 
everybody has this under control. Mm-hmm. All right. And I'm not going to sit here and lecture anybody about how to practice for this kind of a deal. Cause that's not my, that's not my bailiwick. My bailiwick is the other part, the physical preparation that makes the performance more efficient, the physical preparation that actually makes the practice more, more efficient and makes you able to better demonstrate your proficiency under these circumstances. And that physical capacity is never running 10 miles. It's never running five miles. This is not World War I. We have mechanical transportation now. We don't have to do three-mile foot chases. That happens in James Bond movies. Right. It does not happen in your job, and it doesn't really ever happen in anybody else's job. That's what police cars are for. That's what fire trucks are for. Okay? Mm-hmm. What happens in the real world happens within a short radius away from the transport device that got us where we're going. All right? We don't need endurance adaptations to accomplish this. And I'm going to, I'm going to, going to, uh, place a, uh, a caveat on, let's revisit that concept here in a minute. What we run into in the field is situations that are dependent on our ability to produce force against an external resistance. In other words, we run into strength limiting situations where your ability to be strong is the bottleneck. The limiting factor is your ability to be strong, not your ability to run five miles or three miles or one mile. It's your ability to push on something, pull on something, mash on something, lift something, do it explosively and well. And that is a strength adaptation. All right, now I've I've had lots and lots and lots of discussions over the past 10 years with lots of people that have been in combat situations. Now, let me preface my remarks here by saying I've never been in combat. I was not in the military. I've been in strength and conditioning for 40 years. And I've dealt with lots and lots of people whose profession is police work, military, and fire. And every one of these people report to me the same thing. They tell me that when things get weird, strong is the most important adaptation they had. And if, that, if they weren't strong enough, that's the one they wish they had more than any of the other things that they could possibly do to prepare for that performance. Okay? Mm-hmm. It is... It's, it's terribly critical that you understand why I am saying that strength training is far more important than the running that most agencies and most military organizations rely upon as their training paradigm. I think it's completely uh, – it is an inaccurate interpretation of what actually happens in the field, and it's an inaccurate – interpretation of what best would adapt a person for that role. All right. Mm -hmm. Now, since you mentioned 
the stress recovery adaptation model uh, earlier in the introduction. Let's let's talk about that for just a second. Please. All right. And when when the body is uh, not being stressed, in other words, when it is in a state called homeostasis, all right, it is adapted to its environment. All right. Now that that in that that definition applies to you at work when nothing weird is going on. It applies to a fish in a lake when the temperature is constant. It applies to any organism in an environment that is not changing. Okay? Okay. Let's say the temperature of the lake, for some reason, goes up two degrees. Uh, a two-degree change in temperature is not going to kill the fish. Right, because a two-degree change in temperature is something that the fish can easily adapt to, because two-degree changes in lake temperature happen all the time, don't they? Sure. Okay, they happen seasonally. You know, the fish can find a a place in the water column that's within a couple of degrees of the same temperature he's been living in all year. So that's how the fish adapts. He goes down where it's not a big stress on him. But let's say that there's a volcano in the area and the lake temperature rises 30 degrees if the fish cannot adapt then the fish dies if the fish can adapt then he gets better at dealing with the changing environment okay sure if and this is a feature of all biological systems plants and animals they have the ability to adapt to stress stress is the thing that produces the change in the environment. Recovery is the process by which the organism changes itself in the face of that stress. And adaptation is the, is the new homeostasis that the organism finds itself in after the recovery from the stress. All right, now this is just the biology. Sure. And this is this is uh, this was first observed in 1936 by Hans Selye in a paper in the journal Nature. All we are doing with our program is making uh, an observation that since this is the process that governs biological systems, we're going to take advantage of it and we're going to control it precisely. And that's what programming is. We are going to apply a stress that's a little bit more than the level of adaptation currently enjoyed by the organism. And we know that since we're alive, we will adapt to that stress if it is not too big. Right. right? Mm -hmm. If it's not too great a stress. If it's too great a stress, it kills us. If it's not any stress at all, it doesn't make anything change. So we're going to take advantage of that process that always is in operation, and we're going to design a program to cause a certain type of adaptation to take place. Now, if you're going to run the Boston, that adaptation, that adaptation is completely different than if you are going to do a snatch clean-and-jerk meat with 
six total attempts at the heaviest weights you can manage. Two completely different types of adaptation. Therefore, two completely different types of training stress must be applied to obtain this range of adaptations. Mm -hmm. These two diametrically opposed, to get into the biology, sets of adaptations. All right. Now, what your, your people will tell me in the face of this argument is that you don't really know what the nature of the performance, quote unquote, at any given time that you guys are going to be required to perform is. So right. you got to be ready for anything. <clears throat> yeah, ready for anything at any time, right? Ready for anything <clears throat> at any time. And you know what? That's really not true, is it? Well, Let's that's the challenge. Let's think about this for a minute. That's really not true. At no point in your performance are you going to have to run 25.2 miles. And at no point in your performance are you going to have to do a max clean and jerk. Right. Okay. We, we do know what your daily duties encompass. And we do know that you may have to run a little ways. You may have to wrestle with an opponent. You may have to drag a heavy fire hose. You'll have to shoot center mass for five rounds, maybe more than five rounds. But we know it's going to involve shooting. We know it's going to involve your service weapon. We know it's going to involve a fire hose. We know it's going to involve a flight of stairs, maybe three or four flights of stairs. But it's not going to involve 25.2 miles, and it's not going to involve a snatch and a cleaning jerk for max weight. We kind of really do kind of know what the range of of performance parameters that we will face, in fact, entails, don't we? Sure, that's very. So, I mean, that's very we, good we point. can we can we can get prepared for a certain number of things and be adequately prepared for anything. And what I'm telling you is that properly designed strength training is the thing that most generally prepares your body for anything you will encounter in the field. It will prepare you to push on doors and pick people up and put them in the ambulance and drag the fire hose up the stairs and control your weapon under imbalanced circumstances when you're tired and maybe bleeding. It will enable you to, to handle whatever type of, of, uh, of performance obstacle you encounter in the field better than running better than doing circuits on Nautilus equipment does. Mm -hmm. Properly designed strength training is the most general thing that you can do to prepare for the eventualities that you will occur, that occur in the field, that you know will occur in the field. Now, general is very important, isn't it? Sure. Yeah. Because you have to understand that training is the general physical preparation. Practice is what? That's the specific, isn't it? Right, okay, yeah. So mm -hmm. you get specific with the with the tools you know you're going to be equipped with, mm -hmm. that you make sure you're equipped with. Mm -hmm. And you train not for running, but for strength, because strength prepares you to exert force. And here's the other thing that, that is so often misconstrued about this. You know what strength training also prepares you to do? Run. It also prepares you to run. Do you know a a, a thirty year old man that can squat four oh five that can't run two miles? 
yeah, fair point. Well, there aren't any. There aren't <laughs> any, and, and this is nonsense. It is nonsense to think that that a 405 squad is such a specialized performance event that it restricts a person's ability to run. That's absolute. <laughs> Those of us that have squatted 405 for three sets of 10 mm-hmm. and then gone for a five-mile run that same afternoon, yeah, like lots of us have done, no, that's 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 not just wrong. It's it's dishonest. Well, that answers a question I was going to bring up because I can't imagine you wouldn't think endurance or cardiovascular endurance. I mean, specifically, would be would not be an issue for us. No, it is an issue. But what I'm saying is, right. is that strength it, training prepares it you comes for with it. it. Too. So, Running gets you ready to run. Uh huh. Right. But it doesn't make you strong. Certainly not. Strength training makes you strong and. It enables you to run. So this is not terribly complicated, is it? So let me ask you this way. Maybe I can frame it so people understand it or make sure I understand it differently too. So say it's a it's a physical confrontation, not a gunfight, but a, but a physical fight. You know, we're wrestling with someone on the ground. So much more commonly occurred. Right, much more commonly. So gunfight. Right, and in fact, this happened with a partner of mine just last week who was in a fight for his life, and it was never about the gun. But the training is the strength that you work on to give you – the capacity to engage in that fight, That's but the correct. practice would be, for example, uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu or something of there that. Is that correct? That that That's analogy. Correct. That's absolutely the case. You practice the techniques that you're going to use while you're rolling around on the floor with the bad guy, and you better be better at him than he is. Mm-hmm. But if you're not better at him than he is. Let's say he's a 145-pound BJJ guy who's uh, got all freaked out on meth, and you've got to try to arrest him. Wouldn't it be better if you were 225 and could squat 405? Sure. Maybe in a situation like that, you wouldn't have to be as good as him. Mm-hmm. If you're stronger, yeah, you just squeeze him real hard, <laughs> and he quit. <laughs> right, right. Right? Right? Okay. You, so th- this is, you know, I, I understand people – uh, defending their turf here, but I, I really don't understand the opposition uh, to replacing the current uh, training paradigm in both uh, basic training and in in police and fire academy training. Mm-hmm. I don't understand replacing the running part with squats and deadlifts and presses overhead. Because squats and deadlifts and presses overhead get far more done for the trainee than just running. Mm-hmm. I so, mean, squats, squatting 405 for three sets of five. Now, let's try to wrap our heads around this, boys and girls. Squatting 405 for three sets of five gets you out of breath. Absolutely. You know, it gets you out of breath. There's a conditioning component to that as well. And, uh, you know, since nobody listening to this podcast has a job that requires them to run 25 miles, then long distance running, I I, I just don't see why you're, you know, how much can you press over your head? If you can't press, you know, two thirds of your body weight overhead, you're not strong enough. If you can't deadlift, twice your body weight off the floor, which is not a remarkable accomplishment in terms of strength, then you're not strong enough. 
if you can't squat below parallel with 1.75 times your body weight, you're not strong enough. You're not strong enough to be effective in the performance that your job may well force you into. Mm-hmm. And you're not prepared. As a result of that, you're not prepared. I don't care how many miles you can run. That doesn't prepare you to do your job. Strength training does. So let me ask you this. Um, you know, CrossFit's very popular in law enforcement, and they are, as an organization, go out of their way to support law enforcement and have engaged in you know law enforcement academies and trainers and that sort of thing. Uh, and it's often... I mean, I, I do CrossFit, and I told you that last week when we spoke, and um, I've been a member of a gym for, I don't know, six years. Um, mm-hmm. It's 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 something that we immediately gravitate towards because of the, again, that unknown and unknowable, but um, the variety of stuff that we get into and that combination of strength and Mecom. But you, I think, see it differently. Why? Um, what's your opinion of, of CrossFit or that methodology in terms of application to our job? Well, I've, we've we've already discussed that, and uh, let's let's go over it again. What is required of your job? Is it really the unknown and the unknowable? Right. Okay. So it, in that it, sense, it right. really isn't, is it? Right. Yeah. No. no you're we absolutely can, right. We, it, it sounds more romantic to to say that it is. Well, I'm not going to have to you break know, out kettlebell it, swings or anything like that. <laughs> no, I'm going to do kettlebell swings at work. Right. And kettlebell strength swings are not strength training. Let's get that out of the way. Kettlebells are not strength training. Anything you can do for 10 minutes is does not constitute strength training because it's not limited by strength. Okay. It, if it's not limited by strength, it cannot improve your strength. Neither is sprinting strength training. Certainly, a one-mile run is not strength training. What is strength training? Strength training is the stuff that you do that challenges your ability to produce force and therefore is limited by your ability to produce force and the execution thereof would improve your ability to produce force. Mm -hmm. There's only one kind of strength. Now, I know what, you know, the, the bricklayers are going to say here, but really there's only one kind of strength and that's the force you produce against an external resistance. A man with a 500-pound deadlift is stronger than a man with a 200-pound deadlift. Sure. All right? And a man with a 500-pound deadlift is going to be less fatigued by lifting 200 pounds than a man with a 200-pound deadlift. Now, this is just arithmetic. Mm-hmm. Okay? If you go to the gym and every day you do something different, and that let's say that different thing requires a component of of uh, adaptation that is dependent on accuracy and precision, like snatches. Okay. And you haven't done them for six weeks. And you've also not gone through the process of adding five pounds to your squat every Monday and every Friday. Then what today's workout is going to do is – Test your ability to do a thing for which you have neither practiced nor trained. I see. Now, I want you to wrap your head around that because this is the primary problem with CrossFit. It's not training. It is exercise. And for the vast majority of people in the world, 
exercise is perfectly adequate. But it's not adequate for you. And it's not adequate for any other person that considers themselves to be a tactical athlete. You're not training because training is a process. And as such, it must continue to upwardly progress in a fashion that makes sense based on the stress recovery adaptation model. In other words, if you don't come in on a regular basis, and that regular basis is determined by your level of training advancement, and add a little bit of weight to your squat, then your squat doesn't get any stronger. Now, I know you've noticed this, sure. Garrett. I know you've noticed that stronger people do better at CrossFit. Now, how did they get stronger? Well, some of them were born that way. Some of them were power lifters before they started. Some of them take steroids, believe it or not. But however they got strong, the stronger ones do better. Well, wouldn't it be neat if we could just come up with a way to get you stronger, right? Mm -hmm. A way to program strength training so that Barry Bonds wouldn't have to go talk to the John McCain at the Senate about taking steroids. How about if we come in every week and we increase the amount of weight on the bar for his squat and deadlift and press and bench press? Maybe he'd get stronger without steroids, okay? Mm -hmm. Because that's programming. That's strength training. Now, if you just come in every day, and every day is a, essentially either a performance that you haven't either trained or practiced for, or some other type of flailing around in the floor for which you have not prepared, is that optimum? No, of course not. It really is not optimum, is it? Right. So if I were designing your program, I wouldn't make it random because we don't want your muscles confused. We want them to know exactly what is going to be expected of them. Since we know you're not going to be running 25.2 miles, we don't want to run long distances. Since we know that when you get in a performance at work, it's going to involve a bunch of pushing and pulling and shoving, it may end up involving you using your service weapon under less than ideal conditions. We know that bigger and stronger people do better at that. So our training ought to make us bigger and stronger. Our practice makes us good with the tools we have to use. And 30 snatches for 60, kilo, or 60 kilos for, for time doesn't really feature in this in this in this preparation does it no and that, it makes much more sense now uh, what your issue with it is and i and right and i see right. that it's not logical right. it's not logical it's fun hey it's not boring hey it's real good at selling memberships it sells memberships to crossfit gyms but everybody in crossfit will tell you the same thing within between six and nine months they all if they're serious about it they all realize you know i need to be stronger and this this random approach of this is not making me stronger. What do I do? Mm -hmm. Well, you get you program strength. That's what you do. Well, you know, and I actually have a direct experience with that. When uh, I was in my gym for quite some time, and then I took a year and did private programming in the same gym, but you know, mm -hmm. devoted just to me and just to my goals and and in consideration of my uh, my job, and I got much much stronger, faster. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> it's not surprising. Because, see, here's the biggest problem with with uh, high intensity glycolytic volume. It actively competes 
with your strength adaptation. It will prevent you getting stronger. You can come in and be on a on a on a perfect strength training continuum, adding five pounds for three sets of five to your work sets of squats twice a week, three times a week if you're just starting. And then one day you get a giant hair up your ass and you think, you know, I think I need to do 100 air squats, 100 push-ups, 100 sit-ups, and 100 chin-ups today. I'll get, I'll get fried. I'll get burned. I'll get uh, roasted. I'll get, what are the other CrossFit edges? <laughs> I haven't heard of half of those myself. Well, you know, but because you want to get sore, tired, right. and hot, and sweaty. You feel like you've done something. You know what happens to your next squat workout? I'm curious because I had one of those this morning, and I'm, now I want to know. Well, <laughs> the numbers. <laughs> let's put this kindly. The numbers won't be there. Right. Your your strength will have diminished, and you're going to find this out quickly. Mm-hmm. And you have to ask yourself why that is. And the reason it is is because your ability to recover, the, the recovery part of the stress recovery adaptation cycle Mm -hmm. is unfortunately finite there's only so much you can recover from and number two the adaptation to that stress is specific how would a hundred air squats make you stronger how heavy is any one of those air squats is it as heavy as the 295 certainly not right 295 is what is what causes the strength adaptation because it's heavy. And the fifth rep of the three sets of 295 is hard because the challenge is the production of sufficient force to complete the rep. Is production of sufficient force to complete the rep the limiting factor in any one of those 100 air squats? No. No. No, no it's not. Fatigue is. Right. But not force production. Right. Okay. See my point? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, it, you know, I mean, you, you, you've got to get organized here. You've got to make up your mind what you want to do. If you want to be stronger, then you've got to add weight to the bar on a regular basis. The right amount of weight added to the bar at the right frequency of exposure to the stress produces a strength adaptation. 100 air squats does not. Mm-hmm. So why are we doing 100 air squats? Because they make you real sore? Well, they do make you real sore because that's 100 negatives you just did. That much eccentric loading does, in fact, make you sore. But the question is, does sore make you strong? No. No. Adding weight to the bar makes you strong. And anything you do that interferes with adding weight to the bar interferes with you getting strong. So don't do 100 air squats. Because they don't make you strong, they prevent you from getting strong. Well, that makes sense. So one of those other things that prevents us from getting strong is is, is work. And to go back to that stress recovery adaptation cycle again, the more I'm learning about these things, the more I'm understanding that my the stress, which typically you know in a vacuum would be the workout itself, um, yes. but the stress also includes the work stress. You know the right. the bad sleep, it uh, does. the all the things that come with it, the high cortisol spikes, etc. That's right. How do we need to adapt our strength training? And this is under the assumption that we have a proper strength training uh, plan, um, or, or or 
you know, coach or, or guide in this, but how do we need to adapt our planning different than the regular population to adapt to that extra stress? Well, I don't know that you need to, and here's why. Okay. If the work stress is such that it doesn't kill you, what do you do to the work stress? I guess the, in your theory, I'm, you, we you adapt, adapt to it. Okay. You adapt to it. If you're mm-hmm. eating enough. And you may not be sleeping enough, but, you know, I mean, you, there are, you can adapt to all kinds of different things mm-hmm. if you do them enough. The ability to adapt is also trainable. You understand what I mean by that? Sure, yeah. When you start off on this weird schedule, you're not adapted to it, you're tired all the time. But what eventually happens? <laughs> You get used to it a little bit. You know, you you don't feel great, but you've adapted to it to a certain extent. Sure, yeah, yeah. Now, let's say you enter to that schedule that you have adapted to. Mm-hmm. You introduce another stress. What's going to happen? You adapt to that as well. well it's going it, to kick your ass for a little while, and then pretty soon you're adapted to that too. So I don't know that, that uh, you know, the work stress – is something that you cannot adapt to and something to which you haven't already adapted. In other words, I don't know that it's a factor. Uh-huh. Now, I, I know that in a, in, a, in a job situation where uh, you've, got a, you've got a rough day, all that recovery, remember, is again finite, but that can be trainable. I don't know that that would be conducive to a bodybuilding-type routine of, you know, Six days a week, three hour days in the gym. Right, but that's that's of course not what we're doing. You know, that's not what we're that's not what we're talking about mm-hmm. doing. We're talking about having you squat a couple of times a week, and having you press and bench press a couple of times a week. Alternate those two, and have you pull something off the floor a couple of times a week, deadlift one day and power clean the other day. Nothing more complicated than that. Maybe do a few chins once a week. But that's it. The focus is not on exercise variety. The focus is on, is on loading and increasing the loading in a way that constitutes a training program. It's not a lot of volume mm-hmm. because volume is not the, the thing we're after. It's, it's the load. See, and this is the thing that makes CrossFit more romantic than this whole simple program we're talking about. It's never boring, is it? No. Well, but but squatting twice a week, changing bench for press twice a week, and deadlifting and, and power clean, that's that's five exercises. That's boring. Well, I'm sorry, it's training. Mm-hmm. Training sometimes is boring. Preparation is sometimes boring. But does it work? Yes. Undoubtedly. It right. Yes, it does, because it's logical. It obeys the laws of physiology. And it's simple arithmetic. It's all it is. And, uh, you know, but so how, when do you run during the week? Well, you know what? I don't think you need to. But if you feel better running a mile and a half, two miles once a week, go ahead and do it. You'll adapt to that, too. Mm-hmm. It may interfere with the, uh, the pace of your strength increase. And if you can live with that, that's fine. But if you go run five times a week, you're not going to get any stronger. Because now what have you done to the stress recovery adaptation equation? 
Well, you've, yeah, you, you've thrown a whole new chink into it. You, you, you've added more stress than you can recover from. You can't do that. See, it's just it, – it, it, see how this vocabulary kind of organizes our thoughts about this? Sure. About this. It's it's very helpful to think in these ways. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that, uh, you know, a lot of people have uh, have really missed the boat on this. They yeah. really missed the boat on this. There's a there is a there's a terribly counterproductive aspect to CrossFit that that CrossFit doesn't like to talk about, and that that nonetheless a lot of people have noticed, and that's the injury rate. Now, how many times have you been hurt in the past six years doing CrossFit? Uh, twice. And how many people do you know that have not been hurt doing CrossFit in the past six years? Honestly, it's not. I mean, it's not a. Uh, it's, I, it's not a large number, or it's not. To me, it doesn't seem like a large number. I, I always equate it to. Uh, you always run some risk of injury by stepping outside and, the house. Right. You run, but but in in terms of your in terms of your training activities, mm-hmm. uh, you run a risk. During a performance, don't you? Because the performance, let's see how many, you're, we got to drive an AMRAP up three reps today. Mm-hmm. When you're pressing the edge of the performance envelope, then you're taking a risk, aren't you? I see what you're saying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, if you have not trained for that performance and you have not practiced for that performance, what happens to the injury risk? Yeah. Increases. It goes up quite a bit, doesn't mm-hmm. it? Right. Okay. You're familiar with people that have gotten spectacularly fucked up <laughs> in a situation like this, aren't you? You're familiar with that. If you've never had it happen yourself, uh, I've seen it and you've seen it and I've had it happen to me and you've had it happen to you and it's not uncommon. And I'm just asking you to think about why, because if you engage in a performance level event for which you have not practiced and for which you have not trained, then your risk of injury goes up quite a bit more than had you practiced and had you trained for that performance event. But see, that requires planning, and and uh, constant variation does not allow for planning. And I want to clarify something, too, for people, because I think I understand you very specifically, but when you say performance in the context of CrossFit, you're talking about just your general Tuesday morning wad, not a competition, right. not the regionals, not the open or anything like that. How does everybody, well, well, all right, Garrett, how does everybody approach that workout? This the, is the sales pitch for CrossFit. This is the thing that makes it so damn popular. What's that board on the wall do? Oh, it's total ego. <laughs> <laughs> kind of makes it a performance. Right. It? Yeah, yeah. It's a scoreboard. It is. Mm-hmm. It's the scoreboard. So those guys in that CrossFit gym or box, as they call it, that thing might as well be the scoreboard at the end of the stadium. <laughs> right? Sure. I know plenty so, of those. <laughs> that's, that's built into the system. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah and listen, you know, I, I get asked these questions about CrossFit all the time. Look, I, CrossFit is not the enemy here. Mm-hmm. CrossFit is not the enemy. CrossFit has introduced strength training to probably millions of people. Sure. 
that would not otherwise have ever been exposed to. Oh, myself They've included. introduced barbell training to millions of people. They've made opportunities for training available to millions of people. You know how hard it was to find a pair of weightlifting shoes 10 years ago? Right. <laughs> you know how hard it was to find a place that had bumper plates for snatch and clean and jerk 10 years ago? Well. It's, it's completely revolutionized for the better everything about this industry. It's created a job for me. Mm-hmm. We do seminars. Glassman invented seminars. He invented the idea that people need to pay you to teach them things. You know, I, I don't have a bone to pick with CrossFit. I just have a bone to pick with their approach to this situation. I think that on, on net... CrossFit is a positive, but there are basic problems with their paradigm that need to be addressed. And perhaps the vocabulary words we've introduced today will help you guys address those problems. Well, I think you bring up a good point too. You know that you're, you said it's perfectly fine and it's just, and it's fine for plenty of people. You know, there's, you said at the very beginning, the vast majority of the population, it's totally fine that they go out and just exercise sure. every day. But maybe we need to be more exercise, and it burns calories, and yeah. it and it and it it gets people off of their asses, and it gets people's bellies to go away, and it's it's good for them if they don't get hurt. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's up to the individual to not get hurt. It's up to you to have enough sense to know when to quit, when to pull back, when to not take that extra rep out of position. You've got, I mean, it's your personal responsibility. Sure, right. You know, that's not the, that's not CrossFit HQ's job. You're supposed to know enough about yourself to not do that. Right. But by the same token, it's not training. And for a lot of people listening to this podcast, training is really what they need to be doing. And you need to get your head wrapped around the idea that training involves a certain amount of progressive accumulating repetition, progress. Adaptation, right? Mm -hmm. Adaptation accumulates over time. I probably should have said this earlier. The idea that you're stronger is is the idea that you're going to accumulate a strength adaptation. You're going to accumulate the benefits of challenging your ability to produce force over a long period of time. It's an accumulative process. Mm -hmm. And in order to accumulate, you have to actually do it often enough to cause the accumulation to occur, right? You accumulate uh, a two and a half hour marathon. You accumulate a 405 squat. They're not equivalent of performances, of course, but but you understand my point. Sure, yeah. yeah. Adaptation accumulates, and in order for it to accumulate, it it must be repeated often enough that you're A, good enough at it to do it when it's hard, I mean, there's a practice component to it as well. And you have to produce the stress, allow for the recovery to occur so that the adaptation can take place. And if you only do it once every six weeks, that's kind of not going to work. Well, for people who are interested in moving into strength training and digging deeper, if they haven't already, uh, I can't recommend practical programming for strength training enough. Um it goes much deeper into these concepts that we talked about today, and what n- nicely point does too is lays out 
basically those beginning workouts for both the novice, as you call the novice, the intermediate, and the advanced. Example um, workouts for every level of trainee and explains the differences in the levels of trainees. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it's, uh, the, that's a concept that uh, we pretty much originated. Not everybody, a, a guy that's been training three weeks is not the same guy who's been training three years or 30 years. Mm-hmm. Those, those are three different organisms. And that has to be understood in order to effectively assign a program. Yeah. And it's all explained in that book. It is. And starting strength, of course, too, for people. Mark, where can people find out more about you if they want to follow you on social media or your website? Or where, where do you want to find them? Facebook. We are. But all that stuff is linked from our website, startingstrength.com. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and it all is linked from our website, startingstrength.com. We have new content on startingstrength.com's homepage five days a week, new articles and videos up. There's something new every day to learn on startingstrength.com. And we have a very, very active, very big discussion forum uh, on the website, and you're welcome to join and post and get your questions answered by myself and other professionals that work in this field. Fantastic. And I'll, I'll of course, include those in the show notes for anyone who's uh, not able to write that down or can't remember. You can always go to thesquadroom.net, too, and I'll uh, link those here for the show so you can find Mark that way as well. Mark, thanks for your time. This has been a really interesting conversation. It turned yeah. my idea of, of training on the head a little bit. Uh, even though I've read your books, um, it's still... Uh, provided some great insight and uh thank you for your time give you know the time that you've given to this community here of, of law enforcement officers we appreciate well that. we i certainly appreciate the time and thank you uh for being a great host garrett we'll talk to you soon thank you mark all right thanks for listening to the squadron thank you to mark for being on the show i hope you enjoyed that and if you heard or if you like what you heard today if you got something out of the conversation, please consider leaving a review on iTunes. It really helps us spread the word about the show and gets this message out to other first responders. Now, if you heard something today that you know a friend or loved one needs to hear, please tell them about the show. You can go to thesquadroom.net and email this episode directly to someone that you care about. You can even email it to someone you don't care about, actually. To keep up to date, you can text us at the squad, thus, text the squadroom to 44222 to get signed up for our mailing list. That's all one word. You get signed up directly from your phone. All you got to do is punch in the squadron, text that over to 44222, and boom, you're signed up. You get first dibs and first awareness on when these new episodes are coming out. Uh, and you can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter, at the Squadroom, and also on Facebook. Our job is tough, tougher than anything we can accomplish here in one episode or in a few words. But if you want to reach out, start a conversation, you want to ask a question, you can reach me, Garrett, at thesquadroom.net. That's Garrett with two R's and two T's. Lastly, I want to tell you that this episode is brought to you by Audible.com. With over 180,000 titles in their inventory, Audible has hundreds of audiobooks that apply to us. It's a, if it's a sl- I'm done talking for the day, apparently. If it's a slow shift or a long commute, audiobooks are a great way to continue your education. After you've listened to each episode of The Squadron, of course. To get a free 30-day trial and free audiobook of your choice, go to, the Audible, go to audibletrial.com, The Squadron, to sign up. And I think I need to stop talking now. So until next time, take care of each other and stay safe.